Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Uh, for years, major corporations, big business, has been drifting uh, to the political left. Uh, now, a lot of us knew this was happening, but it's now become glaring, glaringly obvious to everyone now that we have uh, Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, even Major League Baseball weighing in on Georgia legislature's efforts to uh, uh, protect their uh, electoral process. Uh, and so many household names are now aligned with the political left. Levi, Nike, Airbnb, BlackRock, Ford, the NBA, Bank of America, Walt Disney, Google, Twitter, on and on. And all now seem to be actively supporting liberal positions on political, economic, and social issues. Uh, it's been disguised under the pleasant-sounding name of corporate social responsibility. Uh, I tend to think a better label for it is woke capitalism. Uh, Increasingly, and this is important for all of us to understand, the top echelons of major corporations, the C-suites and the board of directors, are filled with people on the left. Uh, this trend and its implications is something we all need to know more about. Uh, with me to get into this and understand where we might go from here is Justin Danoff, who's director of the Free Enterprise Project at the National Center for Public Policy. Uh, who's a longtime warrior in this battle against the creeping leftism of corporate America. And our other guest, uh, I should say probably co-host, is Matt Schlapp, uh, chairman of the American Conservative Union, which sponsors the CPAC conference and is the founder of Cove Strategy. And Matt's been extremely active inside corporate boardrooms for years and an advisor to uh, a lot of big businesses who are doing business in Washington. So welcome, guys. I'm looking forward to this one. Justin, why don't you kick us off? Tell, tell me... Tell us what you've been doing, and, and uh, it's a lot. So give us an overview about your, your, your group and what its uh, agenda is, or what its uh, mission is. Sure. Thanks, Bill. Um, so we've been fighting the woke for over a decade at the National Center for Public Policy Research, and part of it is because of the mission that we were founded with. Our mission was actually to be a voice where we saw conservatives being the quietest. So if conservatives weren't speaking up on an issue, we would jump in. And so a little more than a decade ago, we looked out at the landscape of corporate America and we just started scratching our heads. And we wondered why on so many issues, as you said, that fell under the banner of so-called corporate social responsibility, that big business was now carrying the water for the political left. And we just were a little confused. So we just peeled a few layers of the onion back and saw this thing called shareholder activism. And we saw not a single right of center group engaged in it, but we saw more than 100 liberal groups that were buying up shares and companies and going in and moving them on issue after issue to the left. Now, these days, it falls under the banner of so-called ESG. That's environment, social, and governance. Because the left is so good at branding, right? Who can be against the environment? Who could be against you know, social causes and good corporate governance? Nobody, right? But if you see ESG folks, know that that is just cover for whatever a liberal policy group is hoping to achieve through big business. So when we, when we looked out at this landscape, we just decided to copy the left's model. 
So I buy up shares in all of the most terrible companies in America so I can be a voice in the room. Justin, what's your background? Before, How did you get into this? Yeah, so I'm an attorney by trade, and I actually worked at the Securities and Exchange Commission in my undergrad business education. And I started seeing this, you know, back in the late 90s, even. Um, and so when I went to law school and I came out, I, you know, we worked on this free enterprise project at the National Center and decided to be the pushback. And what I hear voice. from you is you're so smart that you got this law degree and you said, I am not going to sit here and practice law. I'm going to make a difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that, that, that's right. Um, I spent five minutes in a white shoe firm and got the heck out of there right. um, and, and decided to have some impact because we were we were really concerned because if you think about it. So you came to this as an idealist. Oh, that yes. you felt like you felt like corporations ought to be sticking to their business and not weighing in on political issues. And so you thought you, we needed to do something about it. Yeah, I mean, we're not we needed to provide the other voice in the room. Right. Right. We needed to counterbalance what the left was doing in this space, because, frankly, they were being incredibly, incredibly effective. And this is just one tool, by the way, that the left uses. They use so many tools and it's the march through the cultural lanes. Right. You know, the march through academia is the most parallel to what's happening here. It's a top down takeover. It's a bottom up takeover and it's outside in. So I work on the outside in part of the problem. But again, if I put up a pie chart of the leftist groups that engage in shareholder activism and then our, you wouldn't even see our sliver bill. It's it's really just that outsized. You know, I'll file 20. Well, I think most of us, me included, up until the last few years, really thought corporations were on the on the right. And, you know, I'm I'm dated. I was a CEO of a company, gosh, 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And at that time, it was still a fairly conservative crew. That's really changed in the last decade. I mean, Matt, you've seen this in, in your work. What uh, how, how, how has this evolved as you see it? Well, as you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at corporate America. It's a big theme. But if you look at publicly held companies, Fortune 50 or Fortune 100 companies, and you look at the path to be a CEO, it's so different now. Yeah. You're a marketer. You're a talker. You look good in your blue suit. Um, you got uh, these short-term gigs with big branded companies, and it's a stock play, you know. And if if you're giving return to your investors, including to maybe some closely held investors, you know, you're a hero. You pop out after five or seven years. You get the next gig. Um, that's kind of how they approach it. And so my experience, by and large, is they. Um, they don't have political ideology by and large. They have a desire to maximize this five-year run. Now, on top of that are some very prominent CEOs that, uh, that are real left-wingers. And, uh, and it's, to me, so ironic because their left-wingedness does not stop at ESG, environmental, you know, cultural questions. It goes right all the way down the line to like mandating higher minimum wages and higher tax rates. Like sometimes let's, policies let's, let's, that are wrong for can, the shareholders. Can we name names? Of course. Who, who, who do you have in mind? Well, I mean, I, you know, you think of uh, Mr. Bezos, uh, uh, you know, okay. the, he's like the quintessential example of advocating for policies that will make American companies less healthy. And from what I can see, I'm not so sure he gives a lick about America at all. You know, it, that's the other part of this bill. If you looked at the profile of a CEO probably 10 years before you were a CEO, you would have seen a lot of military service. You would have seen people that probably went to church. You would have seen people that were kind of like uh, the American 
story of somebody pulling themselves up from their bootstraps. Maybe they get a chance to go to an elite college, but somehow in a corporate culture, they rise up because of their hard work and their intellect and everything else. Well, they're really corporate politicians. That's right. I mean, they're not entrepreneurs. They didn't invent a product. They didn't develop a service. You know, they're not, they're not typically not engineers anymore. They're, they're, uh, they're talkers. Yeah. Look, I know of one CEO who, you know, when you talk to them, oh, I'm a Trump supporter, I'm a Republican, meet the son, the son's a big Trump uh, supporter, the whole family's a big Trump supporter, and then I see him signing these letters. Well, like, Justin, what are you, you doing? <laughs> have you done any analytical? I mean, you've been at the, you're, you're a serious think tank focused exclusively on this issue. Have you, have you framed it? How many corporations are we talking about? If, let's say of the top thousand corporations, publicly traded companies. How, of what percentage does this virus infect? Nearly all. It's really, it's really to the point nearly, nearly all. all. Because if you think about it, what, what Matt just described and you hit on is these folks are more politicians than they are business people, right? And who are politicians listening to? Who are they responsive to? Well, the loudest constituents, right? The constituents that engage with them. Yeah. Those are who politicians react to. And so that's why we try and engage with business leaders as often as possible. Let, let me make, make it a thing. You're not saying necessarily the CEOs, and I don't mean to defend all CEOs, but uh, I think I have to a little bit. It's not necessarily that they're left-leaning. It's that they do, though, respond to pressure, and the pressure all comes from the left, and that's, therefore, the way they manage. Yeah, it's, it's an imbalance of pressure, right? So they don't feel any pain from conservatives. And I, I think that there's some reasons for that, right? And part of it is the conservative reaction, um, and there's two parts to this, right? The conservative reaction is we're going to boycott, right? Well, take Nike, just one company, for example. I remember when they were on the wrong side of the bathroom bill in North Carolina, what was this, 2016? Well, you could go on Facebook and Twitter and you could see conservatives. The bathroom bill in North Carolina was when they were mandating unisex bathrooms. Well, that anybody could subjectively go into a changing room based on what they said their gender was that day. So grown okay. men could change. Okay. So biology didn't determine the bathroom. It was more what you thought you were. That's right. Um, and so conservatives were angered by this, right? Um, because, you know, companies were coming out and saying that that's what they supported too, right? And Nike was one of them. I remember going on Facebook and seeing, you know, friends and, you know, colleagues saying, we're going to burn our Nikes and we're never buying Nike again. Well, their stock price went up and their sales went up. And then they signed Colin Kaepernick, this guy who hates police, big Black Lives Matter guy, a washed up athlete to, you know, a $10 million deal or something like that. Again, conservatives said, we're going to boycott. We didn't. So... Then when they pulled the Betsy Ross tribute shoe at the behest of Colin Kaepernick, they had already made the shoe. It was already delivered to stores. They pulled it off the shelves and didn't sell it because Colin Kaepernick told them not to. Well, conservatives did it again. We said we were going to boycott. Their sales went up. Their revenues went up. So they, but, they at this point think they can offend our values with impunity because we keep lying to them. But we're not their customers. I mean, Phil Knight famously said, it doesn't matter how many people hate your brand as long as enough people love it. And... The Nike customers are urban kids, China, a lot of places that are not going to be filled with Republicans. And he doesn't care. They don't care. I and mean, we can we can make all the noise we want, but he's still going to sell tennis shoes to these kids that want to pay $400 a, a pair for them. Hey, I'll, I'll make an admission here. I don't boycott companies because I don't have the time to boycott all of the woke. Nike fits me best for my running shoes, so I wear Nike running shoes because they fit uh -oh. my shoe the best. 
Okay. Right? Because it's, again... Well, we you, got rid of all our Coca-Cola. <laughs> well, what are you going to drink? Pepsi? They fund Plant No, Pepsi is worse. Dr. They, Pepper. <laughs> there we go. No, I feel method. like... I, I'm going to disagree here a little bit. I think we got to... It's a little bit like foreign policy. Every option has to be on the table. And the problem for conservatives is let's not think like the centralized planners on the left, which is one of the reasons... Uh, the conservative movement screws up so many things is because we all want to get into one big, beautiful building and uh, and make sure everyone's doing coordinated activity. And, you know, business people learned long ago, especially entrepreneurs, competition could be the greatest thing, including experimenting with different options. So my view is, I'll take Coca-Cola, for example. CPAC hasn't announced that we're doing a boycott of Coca-Cola. I'll be damned if I buy another Coke. By the way, it's not good for me. Number two, uh, I'm not going to give them any money. Now, is that done through an organized effort? No. Is that going to show up in Coca-Cola sales? I think so, because I know I'm not alone. You're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Justin Danoff and Matt Schlapp, and we're talking about woke corporations and what we think we ought to do about it and, and various lines of action. So there's a vote for a boycott. Same for Nike. I mean, look, I can't be... I, I agree. You're completely right. Like... If I didn't, if I used every penny of my purchasing dollar to only go to good causes, it would be impossible. But I do think there's a symbolic way where we can make these companies, which I know you believe in because that's what you're spending every day doing, we could make these companies understand that the path they're on is going to alienate half the country, it's going to create demand destruction for their products, and it's going to raise up this whole idea where conservatives, by the way, it's not conservatives, Americans, mm -hmm. people who love the flag, love cops, love the military, will eventually realize this is a lot of money that we're spending. By the way, you know, it's not like we're an unsuccessful part of the community where, you know, a lot of us have purchasing power. And, uh, and if we start being educated and making those decisions more and more, uh, I think we can have an effect. And I think we ought to get real Aggressive. So, 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 Justin, and I want to come back to that because there's, I want to get a list of things that we might do, but you're working through proxies. First, explain what a proxy is and how the left has used them and how that might be an opportunity for us. Yeah, so um, the right tends to think of elections happening in November for politicians, but there's thousands of elections that take place every single year at publicly traded companies. And there's two important set of votes that conservatives, the evidence bears out, are not paying attention to on these corporate proxy ballots. The first is for the board of directors. Okay, so when a corporation holds an election, they send out a proxy. That's right. So, and you're, as a shareholder, you're entitled to put propositions on the proxy to vote for. So you not only vote for board of director members, but you also vote for proxy items. And some of the proxy items the companies put up there, like we want to re increase the number of shares outstanding, something like right. that. But the left has been putting in proxies that the company first, I think it first came up 20 years ago, South Africa. This company ought to divest everything from South Africa. Right. That's an example of, of a proxy item. Yeah, so shareholder proposals um, are, are voted on at every annual meeting, and they're super important. And again, the evidence bears out that the left has coalesced their money and their voting, and the right hasn't. So, you know, a lot of folks get their proxy cards and they just throw them in, in the trash. I do that. I have to admit it. At, 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 it's at, like every day in the mail. Yeah. Um, at any given company, 30 to 35 percent of the votes aren't cast. And again, these are I'm telling you, these are red votes that aren't cast. 
Let me give you an example because folks say, well, how can a shareholder proposal really affect culture? Well, let me give you a great example. A couple years ago, Jesse Jackson and the SEIU and a few left-wing uh, investment firms started filing affirmative action shareholder proposals for board members. Right? You have to have set-asides for women. You have to set have set-asides for underrepresented minorities. Well, fast forward to 2020, Goldman Sachs said, we're not going to bring your company public. We're not going to help finance your IPO unless your board is sufficiently diverse in our view. And of course, they mean you know skin surface characteristic diversity. Well, in December of last year, NASDAQ proposed a rule that they're actually going to kick companies off of their own exchange. They're going to delist companies if they don't have two diverse board seats set aside. And think about this. The agent of change in three to four years went from shareholder proposals supported by Jesse Jackson to NASDAQ. So that's why it's important to stop these things in their infancy. So did, did NASDAQ push that through? I heard it was a proposal. It's, Is that actually, if you're, on, if, you're, if you're listed on NASDAQ now, you have to do what NASDAQ is telling us to do? It's still at the, on the SEC's plate. The SEC. I didn't think, I didn't think that is, that, so that, they want to do that, but it hasn't been. Yeah, we fully expect the SEC will rubber stamp it. Um, during the notice and comment period, it was very clear that the left was outnumbering the right in comments. Well, and the, the SEC, well, the SEC you were a left. lawyer. Did you actually serve in the SEC as a lawyer or you were an intern? I was or? an intern. But my observation is the enforcement division in particular is staffed with, with everybody's on the left. Yes, that's right. Exactly. I mean, it's like every lawyer there thinks if you're making a profit, you're doing something illegal or some risky scheme that uh, they're very op opposed to business. Well, this is part of the problem we have, right, which is we're always on defense because the the uh, you guys know all about the Chevron Doctrine and all the, the power these independent agencies and boards have. And uh, they're radicalized enforcement in legal. Describe terms. the Chevron doctrine, because I don't think everybody may know that. Well, you're the lawyer; you can do a better job. But it's this whole idea of uh, it's it's, a, it's actually a Supreme Court ruling, and the conservative or constitutional approach is to go back and say, "Wait a minute, where did these independent agencies get so much power and authority? Where they think about this? The same people that investigate you and then charge you." Just the guy in the room next door is now the judge hearing your case all within an independent agency, which has become a little fiefdom in the federal government. And, you know, it's taken us a while to wake up from the haze of how destructive this has been for prosecutor, judge, jury, everything and all under the same roof, all paid for by the taxpayers, too. That's the crazy part. So, yeah. So just to, to put a little legalese on it, basically, you can't really question a decision of an independent agency. Uh, the standard is it has to be a decision or an action that was so arbitrary and capricious that it's outside the bounds of like logic. So basically, they're they're allowed to do anything unless that, that, it's that, that's a tough one unless to... it's completely arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, that's there's not there's not there's not a lot of experience of people finding a way out. So for these companies that are signing up for all of this left wing propaganda, part of it is they're trying to figure out in a highly regulated economy how do they keep out of being in the top 10 list of companies these regulators want to go after? Well, you know, the thing that's striking to me, and, you know, I was less involved in this political world, you know, when I was doing private equity investing, but I began to worry even 10, 15 years ago that the left has marched through institutions, and obviously K-12, obviously colleges, the Boy Scouts, uh, you know, on and on and on, but they've also marched through the institutions that govern major corporations. Yes. I mean, the proxy advisory services, there are companies like, what is it, an institutional shareholder services? 
they're very much on the left. Yeah. So this is a this is a little bit nuanced, but first, conservatives aren't voting, and second, when it comes to advising how to vote proxies, yeah. there are two services: institutional shareholder services yeah. and Glass Lewis that control ninety seven percent of that market. Yeah. Now. Glass Lewis is owned by union pensions in Canada, so that tells you where they are. Um, and ISS is super woke. And how do I know that? They have never once recommended a vote for any of my shareholder proposals. <laughs> You're the bellwether. <laughs> That's right. But they support all Another manner. proposal from Justin. This is easy. <laughs> That's right. Where's the trash can? Um, and so, But they support all manner of ESG resolutions. Just last year, I'll give you one prime example. They publicly supported a shareholder resolution at Chevron that asked the company to align its policies with the Paris Climate Accord. Chevron, an American energy company, this would eventually mothball Chevron, right? And all the investors would go broke. ISS supported that. And you know who else supported that? BlackRock, the largest asset manager in the world. It got 52% of the vote because the left has, if you think the presidential election was rigged, folks, I've got to tell you. The left has figured out how to rig the proxy vote to an extreme level because that's, I mean, that's nonsense. 52% of the folks that actually are invested in Chevron don't want the company to go bankrupt. But it there's, there's a lot there's a lot there. I would say one of the innovations we have to figure out in working together is how does, I'll speak for myself, how do I get organized on this one? I'm not, I don't have any time to. Should there be a way whereby there are some nonprofits that are speaking up and doing the work for these shareholders, where the shareholders basically give these groups their proxy when these things come up. I think if we could amplify our voice by the millions, the 75 million of us that are across the country who, who love the country, I think we can make a big impact. On the specific question of the Paris Climate Accord, that is not leverage from the left, right? This is the part that's, the frustrating part is you literally have large companies taking these woke positions, and if you get into the economics of it, it is that, strangely enough, there's a cancer within their thinking that they're in an immoral business, and they got to figure out a way to diversify outside of that business. Why is Ford only going to be making electric F-150s? I mean, I don't know anybody who drives an F-150 who wants it to be a plug-in hybrid. I mean, now maybe there are some, but I mean, that is not what... Uh, that's not what uh, Jimmy in Georgia wants to drive. So there is a little well, bit of an insidiousness. I, I think you're saying something that I think is really smart. There's this phrase among the business guys that I'd worked with through the last many, many decades, this idea of called giving back. And if somehow you've made your money in your business, and now it's time to, quote, give back. Well, And you probably made it doing something that's not very people, virtuous. Well, they may think that, yeah. but basically they're producing widgets or, or services right. that people want. The, the, the business itself is, is in the business of giving. You're meeting people's wants and needs, and you're, you're using resources effectively. Because and you're hiring people? You're hiring people. You're paying suppliers. You're, you know, and even a, you know, every corporation deals well with its community because they want its reputation to be good. So... Uh, you, I think you're exactly, there, there are too many people that suffer from guilt in the C-suites that somehow the corporation is in its, in its main business is not doing enough. I mean, what you think, if you have an issue like the minimum wage or we shouldn't pay more for gasoline or these types of basic regulatory things, 
So I'm running CPAC. I'm running the ACU. What do I immediately think? Oh, these corporations will love our advocacy. And then when you get to engage with them, you realize they're actually not even for, they're going to be against the policies, or at least they're going to be quiet about the policies that would be good for the bottom line. That's kind of, that's how this all got started. It's now become casual and easy for them to take on any left-wing position, but it started with them undermining reputationally what they're known, the, the premier products they're known for making. They got comfortable with undermining them or being silent about advocating for them. And that leaves the conservative advocate, the mom, the dad, the person out there in the country who thinks they're advocating for good policy completely alone, decoupled from the corporate entity who they're speaking, who's, who, who they're speaking up for is going to benefit. That's why, Bill, my, my strategy is to say, let's break it. Let's break it. Let's have conservative activists focus on what makes America great and not what they assume will make American corporations great. The extent to which those two are on the same page, I'm fine. But we shouldn't have a casual, we shouldn't be their casual lobby like we've been. Grassroots. Grassroots. I'm here with Matt Schlapp and uh, Justin Danoff. We're talking about lines of action to deal with uh, woke corporations and, and that agenda. Uh, so, Justin, I we're, wanted to follow up the grassroots, but we also kind of got off a little bit on what you're doing with the proxies. I mean, is that something that, I mean, how, how many of you are out there filing items on proxies? How many more should we bring in? How do we make a proxy uh, a battle something that uh, is a way to win? Yeah, so for the past decade, we're the only group right of center that's done this consistently every year. Every once in a while, there's an individual or two who files some, but there's dozens and dozens of well-capitalized groups on the left that engage in this. I mean, heck, liberal state pension funds in New York and California are heavily involved in that. And now you're talking billions and billions of dollars, right? So I'll file 20 to 30 in a given year. The left files four or 500. Um, on all of their issues. And so to, to Matt's point about, you know, how do we coalesce our money? Well, uh, at the National Center, this is the second year we've done it. We've done the legwork for, for the movement. We have something called the Investor Value Voter Guide that focuses on the worst shareholder proposals every single year. And you come and, you know, it's a it's Where very, can we find that? Nationalcenter.org. Nationalcenter.org, and what do I click on after? It's right on the main page. There's Investor Value Voter Guide is right there. The it's worst shareholder proposals ever. Worst shareholder ever. proposals of the year. And this year, uh, just last week, we, we just published a companion guide called Balancing the Boardroom, How Conservatives Can Combat Corporate Wokeness. And these are about the worst board members in America. We profile them. We explain what they're doing in the corporate cultural lane to corrupt it and the worst boards overall, and we recommend you know, votes votes that way too. So we have two guides out there that can help make this a lot easier for folks um, how to vote their values. Well, let's put a, let's put faces and, and positions on this. I mean, the corporations are, you know, there's obviously the chief executive officer, the chief operating officer, there's a general counsel, chief legal officer, there's the head of HR, there's the head of the community relations, um, there's the head of the foundation for the, for the bigger companies, and then we've now got a new uh, uh, position called Chief uh, Diversity Officer. Chief Diversity <laughs> Officer. And tell me about, and so, and what's happened is those jobs have been almost entirely been filled by people on the left in hundreds, if not thousands, of companies. And so even if you're a free market CEO type who believes this stuff, you're going to be sitting with your entire staff that's on the other side of the argument. So tell, me, tell us about that meeting you had with the, with the chief diversity officer and the other 
big mucky mucks in the company. Well, well, think about, first of all, where did they come from? Where did the idea of chief diversity officers even begin? Campus, right? These, are, these, these, these folks all came from academia because that was the first instance of chief diversity officers, right? Mm-hmm. And so then they, they graduate to business. And for years, I've negotiated my shareholder resolutions. That's a little secret that the, the left realizes and the right hasn't, is the power of shareholder resolutions is actually the negotiation with the C-suite. And so I've, I've had successfully negotiated many resolutions, and that's what the left is doing on a lot of theirs as well. So the problem is, since George Floyd, there's been a dynamic shift. Normally, my negotiations are with IR offices, investor relations, and general counsel's offices. Since then, with the influx of chief diversity officers, I've had numerous meetings where the chief diversity officer seems to completely neuter the other two. General counsel's, IR, they're, they're now subservient almost. Because it's, it's a fear, right? The chief diversity officer's power these days where we're running critical race theory trainings at pretty much every large corporation, right? And, you know, diversity trainings on LGBTQ plus issues are all, you know, the HR and the chief diversity officers really have an outsized role in business these days, and it's frightening. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. I mean, we're not going to have a chief diversity officer at ACU, don't worry. <laughs> we might have one to make sure there's enough libertarians on staff. But it used to matter what you thought, and it used to matter what your skills were. It used to matter what your experience well, Matt, you, was. You've dealt with a lot of these corporations. They've been, they've been among your clients. I mean, yeah. how, what, how's that, how have you seen the change maybe in the uh, government relations office? Well, what I think what I've seen most palpably that was problematic was really big tables filled with a who's who of people that understand how Washington works, Roughly split, although when Democrats win elections, Republicans get chased out of almost every important job. When Republicans win elections, it's 50-50. So that's just the way the town has always been. And, Bill, the one thing that has pro- what, that, that is problematic to me is that it changed the focus of a lot of these meetings changed from what's the regulatory and, and, and legislative, th- what are the legislative threats out there, to hey, don't you think it would be good if we took a position on name your social issue uh, out of nowhere? And that's become to really dominate. And I, I noticed that the left-wing consultants, they kind of get in the door and they stay there because they, they'll they be able to help them make uh, friends on the left, on the, on the hard left. Now, of course, those relationships never pan out. It's always a fool's errand for these co- corporations to think that somehow they won't get attacked. They have to end up, once you take one of these positions, they take all of these positions. And you really, you can't do everything in this world. So what does that mean? Well, it means that the people that you've hired to actually stop the threats, half of them are spending most of their time going to cocktail parties to give awards on silly issues that don't impact. And it's become a very big business to advise companies on this. Do you know uh, somebody named Nadini Jami who founded Sleeping Giants? Oh, yes, yeah. Anyway, she's a young woman, attractive. She got into the business of going after corporations. I think, I can't remember what her first target was here. But anyway, she was, she was encouraging advertisers not to advertise on, on, on conservative news outlets. And she was very successful in doing that. And then a couple of years later, she started a consulting business to go to corporations and say, pay me. And I'll tell you how to avoid what I just did to these other people. And it's a Jesse Jackson move. It's I'm almost good with as that. If, if you don't pay me, then uh, are you I'm, good with that? I'm good with the fact that there's a 
Does honesty <laughs> to the shakedown of it all. I just feel like the uh, the because there's so much dishonesty in all of this, right? So if you're a left winger who uh, is in this town and you want to give uh, your consulting services, you are paid more the more effective you are in those communities. For people who come from the right, uh, the more effective they are in their communities, the more they get cut out of that. So, like you know, in my case, I had great, uh, uh, very aggressive support for Brett Kavanaugh when he was picked to be on the Supreme Court. Uh, I lost clients because they're like, well, you can't be for that guy who goes to high school orgies. And, you know, it's like, but if you're a left-wing consultant, right, you can do all that you want for uh, for Kagan or who, you name it. Uh, you, uh, name the most extreme nominee, and they view that as a virtue because you have, you're in good with those folks. So there's a scarlet A in this country right now for anybody who approaches public policy from a standpoint of the Constitution and loving America and supporting our institutions. You will be, you will be dinged for that. I'm missing it. What does A stand for? Well, a little Nathaniel Hawthorne, right? Okay, uh, we need another letter. The adultery, for... maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. But the uh, just to jump in. Here, a like... for how about I don't know. Uh, We're going to come up with a better letter. Yeah, how about M for Marxism? I don't know. Well, there we go. It, well, it's interesting too because you're, we're talking about you know paying someone to then tell you how to behave, right? And there's no better example of the imbalance that we're talking about of just you know folks out there watching Google Human Rights Campaign corporate sponsors. Right. Okay. It's a who's who of corporate America. All their logos are there and they're happy to put them there. The very few conservative policy groups on the right that get a few dollars from business, they can't make that public. They would be tarred and feathered immediately. Right. And so that's the imbalance, right? They're proudly give to left-wing groups, give them their logo. Right. Any group on the right that gets a few dollars from business, they can't say who that business is or that, you know, the business, the money will go away. A and the, you know, the business will be attacked. Um, and the, for those who don't know who the Human Rights Campaign is, this is a group that is wildly influential in big business. And why are they influential? Because they rate businesses. So there are, there's this cottage industry of organizations that send survey questions to businesses to the point where large publicly traded companies now have entire staff or entire departments staffed up that all they do is respond to survey questions all year long. That's their entire job. They get so many questions from liberal affinity groups. And what do those questions then do? They move the needle, right? So stick with the human rights campaign. They have something called the Corporate Equality Index. Well, this is an LGBTQ promotion group, right? So a couple years ago, they said, if you want to keep your perfect score this year, we've added in a new element. And that is you must have a public facing event promoting LGBTQ causes every year. Well, fast forward to three years ago, they said, well, now that you're doing that, you have to have three every single year. And so if you wonder why every corporation during Pride Month has the flag up, there's your answer. If you wonder why so much advertising that you see on television and in print promotes LGBTQ causes, there's your answer. But now you better find number three, so you better go find a parade or something, right? Or you're going to lose your perfect score. Same thing with trainings on LGBTQ causes, right? The HRC a couple years ago mandated that if you want to keep your perfect score, you have to have a training for all your employees. Well, then that wasn't enough. So now you have to have three every single year, these indoctrination type trainings. And so the businesses are literally funding them. Go look up their 990. It's public. They're doing quite well, the human rights campaign. They're funding them to tell them how to act. Mm -hmm. It's the tail wagging the dog, wagging the tail, right? It's, it's just, it, it's mind boggling. And again, 
how many survey questions are coming from right of center groups? We're really good at, you know, rating politicians, right? On, you know, Second Amendment, life, everything else. We're really good at rating politicians. Why aren't we rating businesses? I agree with this. And this is, you know, ACU has been doing these congressional ratings for half a century. And we added all these state legislators. And this is something that, you know, Bill and I have talked about, which is we're so good at whacking the Republican governor who squishes and probably really does squish on something that's important. But what we have to do is figure out the motivation. Does that Republican governor do that because he or she wants to upset the base of their party? No, most likely that governor is doing that because they got a phone call from a Jeff Bezos or one of his clones. And I shouldn't even joke about that because I think they actually believe in clones. But anyway, so they get a call. And so next thing you know, it's 300 jobs. It's a tournament. It's this. And that makes them say in a smaller state, what can we do? So our feeling is uh, that's why we have taken the step to write these letters to the CEOs demanding that they stop. Now, uh, once again, we're only a few weeks into this. We've had very good response. You've had great response for a We've had some meetings. You can't disclose that's with right. who, but you've had some meetings with CEOs of these companies that's over right. the Georgia, Georgia thing, and they made a difference. We're, we, we, they you are think, making a difference. Yeah. And, you know, I'll let you know our batting record uh, over time. Uh, but the but we have to get smarter as a group. I like the idea of rating corporations. I like the idea of doing the dirty dozen. They've always done that. That's the 10 dirtiest corporations. Well, I want to go back to them with the 10 dirtiest corporations that are funding the destruction of institutions that have made this well, what, country what great. What about, I think, personalizing it, putting a face on it, like you mentioned BlackRock, it's Larry Fink. Yes. And Larry Fink should be a poster boy for everybody to know about as to what he has in mind, what his agenda is, and why it's anti-business. Look, I can see the bumper sticker right now. Fink stinks. I mean, we can make this thing happen. Okay, well, there we, we got go. some marketing we can do here. Maybe we, instead of A, we make it FS. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I like. So we got a, we got about ten minutes left. What a, lines of action? Boycotts, one of them. We talked about that. You're not as optimistic. The proxy uh, contests that we can engage. We've got this idea of putting together a list of com companies that are engaging in behavior, get that publicized and get it out there. Do we have any websites that do that now? Uh, well, our balancing the boardroom talks about the worst boards in America. So that, that puts faces on it. Larry Fink is in there, by the way. So is Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America. I hope you have Brian Moynihan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he gave uh, their Bank of America is now unbanking a lot of companies and yes. industries it doesn't like. Um, not, you know, uh, energy companies, gun companies. I mean, they're, they're canceling their own clients. Think about how insane this is. Mark Benioff at Salesforce, he does the same thing. He cancels clients he doesn't like. Um, and so, yeah, we profile these folks and we let you know what they're doing to our culture. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is we need to publicize more what you're doing and get more yes. people engaged in it. You know, Matt and I are, are working on this with CPAC as to how to take that army of people that are all focused on political things and also get them focused on the bad stuff corporations are doing. Look, I, I, I had this revelation the other day. Um, you know, the conservative movement has really focused on the campus. And there's a lot of people that spent their whole life trying to push back on the radicalism of the campus. Well, I think they failed. Well, they, yeah, we, yeah, they haven't, failed. We, haven't, so we haven't made a dent there. We haven't made a dent. So what I don't want to do is use the same tactics as we face professional sports and corporate entities. I want to use different tactics. And I want to look at the tactics of the left and I don't care if it's borrowing or stealing or whatever. We're doing that. We're going to do those tactics or we're not going to succeed. And part of that is what Bill just said. 
You have to name the names. We have to name the names of these activist board members. We have to tell them the disgusting and gross things they're funding that are destroying things like girls' sports. And when you have people like Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova, not our natural political allies maybe, saying this is wrong, this is immoral, we have to make the case very, very aggressively. We have to change our tactics as a movement because for 50 years we have lost ground, we have not gained ground. Yeah, and to, to that point, crushing women's sports, a lot of folks probably don't realize there's 400 companies with the support of the Human Rights Campaign that are pushing for the Equality Act on Capitol Hill right now, which would, again, crush not only women's sports, women-owned businesses. 400 companies. 400 plus. It's counting. It's growing every day. Um, and they're, they're leading companies. You know, it's Amazon. It's Marriott. It, you know, it's the exactly. Bank of America. It's pretty much everyone, right? And, and they're, they're literally pushing to crush women's sports. And not only that, religious freedom. Right. Because that's 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 at threat in the Equality Act as well. And so we need to, you know, hammer these companies because, again, they're just signing up because the human rights campaign asked them to. And, you know, why did they sign up? Part of the answer is they didn't think there'd ever be pushback. So let's be the pushback. Or the other piece of this also is, is that they are taking positions that are anathema to half their employees and half their consumers. Yet a minority of those employees and consumers on the other side are approaching management and rewarded for approaching management saying, look, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community and I want to work for a company that does X. None of the people that have contrary public policy positions are welcomed to say, look, I'm a, I go to church every Sunday and I want to work for a company that does Y. They're said, hey, that's inappropriate in the workplace. Back off. They could even get fired. And that's what's going on with this great silence that's going on across this country which is something I don't think we've seen before, is if you are somebody that are in these classes of people that are somehow disfavored, the, the idea you could be, be fired for having positions that would be similar to those of ours around the table, maybe religious, maybe political, whatever, those people, their careers are, are ending. Well, in we most speak. major corporations, if you bring up Christianity and your beliefs, you're kind that, of done. That's, you're done. Yeah. Well, I, I like to look at it this way. The cancel culture is, is partly Gina Carano, right, losing her job at Disney. Um, that's part of it. But it's really what Matt's hitting on. It's the employee at Coca-Cola who doesn't want to go to the critical race theory training because it's offensive to everyone it touches, right? Telling white people they need to change their melatonin level somehow, that's nuts. And telling all black people they're oppressed, that's so offensive to everyone involved. The cancel culture is that employee who can't go to HR and say, this is nuts. Like, I don't want to come to that next training. I disagree with it wholeheartedly. That's the cancel culture. They're self-canceling. Well, and that is a firing offense. Yeah. I mean, that's what they do. Right. Now, I didn't know we had to change our melatonin. Is that oh, yeah, they said be less white. That's all part of it. That's part By of the it. way, this whole concept <laughs> of white supremacy, Bill, this thing I didn't really understand. I used to think that was just another way to describe, like, the KKK or the Aryan race or these things. No, what white supremacy now means to these radicalized Marxist uh, who are slowly taking over this country is, hey, if you are a white person uh, and you have power and wealth, that is white supremacy. It's not just white privilege. It's not just that you got that because you're white. It's that now feeds into this idea that white people have the wealth and white people control things. I mean, I was thinking on the way out here, you know, I, I, I'm positive the next thing we're going to read is that with gas shortages and gas lines, you know, your color will determine, you know, when you can go buy gas. It won't be the Babylon Bee saying it. 
These are the policies that are now being mainlined very aggressively. And within these companies, I believe there's almost a freeze on hiring anybody who can't check a box of diversity. I think it's happening across this country as we speak. It's going to eventually end up in court. But, you know, this is insanity. KT McFarland said on our show the other day, I thought this was perfect. Bill, she said, your fellow board members, she said there's only two countries teaching, right? How evil America is. And you think it's China, right? It's actually more than two. It's China. It might be Russia. It's probably Iran. You can add Iran to that list. Do you know who else is doing it? Well, we are. America. Sure, we America are. America is teaching the next generation how evil America is. Well, yeah. Um, and with corporate oh, okay. donations. Right, so, okay, I know. How, okay, I got it. <laughs> we got we to gotta do something about it. Uh, how many other people are in your coalition? We're talking about forming coalitions with other people so we can bring a critical mass. So we've got your group. Jenny Thomas is working on something. Yeah, uh, so we've got a we've got a coalition uh, that we're building. It's growing every you know it's about a year old. It's called Back to Neutral, right? Because we're just trying to make make the noise that the left is making, so that the company themselves choose the off ramp in the middle. They say, hey, well, let's just stop all of the nonsense. We're not going to do what you know Matt and Justin want. We're not going to do what HRC and SPLC want. We're just going to get off and go back to building a better product, creating a better service. And guess what? The companies all say they care about stakeholders. Now, fine. Good business always cared about stakeholders because stakeholders are your customers. They are your investors still, and they are your employees. So good business was always about I, I, that. I read that. That was just blather. We've, companies have been doing that forever. Right. They, just, they just put a different gloss on it. So, yeah, the, the, new, the new model of stakeholder capitalism, though, is to, you know if you are satisfying everybody, you're satisfying nobody, right? So you can just pick your constituencies that you want to support. And that's what, you know, the Larry Finks and the Brian Moynihan's of the world are doing. This is going to work. I like the strategy, Bill. I think, uh, I think that if we can amp up the noise on the right, and it's not just noise, but real effective action, I think we're going to pull some of these companies back. Have you written anything? Uh, have you written a book on this yet? Or we, do we have any? People have asked. Uh, the, there is one book on it uh, that's out there. It's by a gentleman uh, by the name of Steve, Steve Sukup. Steve Sukup, yeah. It's called The Dictatorship of Woke Capital. You I, recommend I, that? I can't, I can't recommend it enough. It's, it shows you how we got here. Uh, because the, the interesting part about this is the left didn't do this in some smoke-filled, you know, room somewhere. Everything they've done is out in the public. All we have to do is reverse engineer it, and we can have tremendous impact. You were talking about, you know, we've makes been... me crazy. It's like these are not secretive things. Right. And so we talked. You were talking about, you know, we've been doing all the wrong tactics in higher education for decades and decades and decades. There's some positive notes here, folks. A, like I just said, the left figured out how to do this, right? And they did it in public, so they gave us the tools. Second, if you think about the cultural lanes that we're talking about, the cultural lanes that have been ceded to the left, business is the most recent we've lost. So temporally, logically, it should be the easiest to win back because we didn't lose it in the 60s, right? We've lost it in the last you know, 15 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. So logically, I think it should be the easiest to win back. And look, it's... Well, and like... We can also put political, we, economic pressure on business. And I think also we can make, you mentioned, we talked about the Alinsky playbook, play the book on them. I think personalizing is Jeff Bezos. I don't think most people know what Jeff Bezos is up to politically. And I think it would affect their ability, willingness to do business with Amazon. Larry Fink manages, what, seven or eight trillion dollars of money. I think if people knew 
what he was up to. But I think not saying BlackRock, not saying Disney, but said putting her face on it. Face on it. The uh, you know to think that Mickey Mouse is for abortion. I mean, this is like yeah, the, get, Dis- the Disney we, agenda is incredible. How, how could the how could Disney want less kids well, watching cartoons and buying their product and going to their theme parks? But I no, don't I, think they're thinking that long term. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it shows you like some of this is just some common sense. But I think the other thing, Bill, we have to do is I think as pro-American free market people, we we've always given an assumption that business. Uh, is at least trying to make profits, and we can understand uh, the benefit of that in society and stuff. But I also think we all think commercially, you know, maybe I'll serve on a board, or maybe my son or daughter will get a job there. So I'm going to be a little careful with my language. And I guess what I'm saying is somebody who's had a lot of this experience, you've had a lot of this experience, I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. So if there's consequences to it, I accept them, and they might be severe. But what we have to do, if for half of us who love this country and love what made it great, I'm not saying they don't love their country. They just want to make it a different country. I want to keep it roughly on the same trajectory it's been on with the improvements we've made over the years. And what I'm saying to everybody is this is the moment to get aggressive. If we get aggressive now and if we're smart with our tactics, I actually think this is the first elite battle we can win. But we got to win it now. And we've got to start now. Final word. Yeah, I mean, if you could go back to 1960s and stop the cultural Marxist revolution in academia, that is where we are right now with big business. That's the mo- this is the moment in time to stop the Marxist march through the corporate cultural lane. So let's get activated, grassroots. We really need, we really need a lot of activism here. Justin Danoff, Center, uh, National Center for Public Policy Research. Thanks. I'm sure we'll be continuing our, uh, our battle together. Looking forward to it. And Matt Schlaff, you know, we're, we're in this game. We're going we're gonna to win. I love, I love the way we're lining up that this is the most vulnerable place for us to, to launch a counterattack. So thanks for uh, listening to Matt and Justin and, and me on this issue about corporate, uh, corporate creep towards the left and what we might be able to do to bring it back. Uh, Thanks, and we'll talk with you next time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone, and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return... We'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.